I'm the only one in the unit that doesn't qualify. And I'm thinking in that moment, did I do the wrong thing? Like I, I failed, like I'm gonna be an embarrassment. You just have to slow down and breathe. Everything sort of came back to me. When you feel like you need to be in charge, sometimes the best thing to do is just to be quiet and remember and watch what's going on around you. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have for you Charlene Mills, who is Global Head of Compensation and Benefits for MetLife. Yes, that MetLife. She has a 30-year career leading across multiple industries, including the military, consumer products, healthcare, and now insurance and financial services. MetLife, in case you're not familiar with it, is a Fortune 500 company that's one of the largest and most recognizable insurance and financial service organizations in the world. And her background includes senior roles in Johnson and Johnson and Jansen. And she was previously an officer in the military and a graduate of West Point. Charlene, welcome to lead the team. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We, and for the listeners, uh, before you got on, we were just talking about New York City, where she is, where I used to live, and what a great walking city it is. What's been your adventures of walking in, uh, in Manhattan, Charlene? Absolutely. I feel like I've had them all over the past few years. I've had those soggy, wet days. This morning, though, was absolutely beautiful. Mm. A 30-minute walk right up through, up to Midtown. Uh, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, for listeners, if you haven't visited New York, or even if uh, you're planning a visit, don't forget it's a great walking city. Our just talking is like three miles across, and it's widest point, 12 miles up and down. I mean, this is the ultimate in city urban hiking. And I'll tell you what, when I, when I lived there, I didn't didn't feel like I needed to work out as much because I just walked everywhere. Completely especially, agree. Especially living in a five-story walk-up where uh, <laughs> it was like toting my laundry upstairs, but also I deliver I discovered getting food service delivery and laundry delivery, which which saved me some pain. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. All right. So let, let's dive in a little bit here. So, Charlene, what was your first job and how does it influence your leadership today? Well, uh, my first job came when I graduated from West Point. Um, I actually uh, was stationed in Korea hmm. and I felt, and at least I, I still feel today, I had some of the best leadership training in the world at West Point. But ultimately, I was still a 21-year-old kid from New Jersey. Um, and I showed up in Korea and I was assigned a platoon, which is about, you know, 20 to 40 soldiers. Mm. And I was a logistics officer. So my platoon's job was to deliver supplies to the DMZ and to other units surrounding in, in South Korea. And one of the first training missions for my platoon was to go to the firing range and you know, basically every soldier had to qualify every year with basic marksmanship. Mm. So I said, this is an easy one. I've, I've done this before many times. This won't be a problem. 
And um, I show up on the range and I'm the only one in the unit that doesn't qualify. Um, And my unit, fortunately, they didn't actually see that. I had a platoon sergeant. His name was Sergeant Ogletree. And he uh, came over and said, hey, ma'am, just stay in the firing hole. I'm going to release the unit. And he released the platoon. And I'm thinking in that moment, like, did I do the wrong thing? Like, I I failed. Like, I'm going to be an embarrassment. And he leaned over and said, you just have to, you know, slow down and breathe. You're doing fine. You're just, uh, you know, your weapon is moving around too much because you're not, you know, you're not breathing correctly. And in that moment, I stopped for a second and I, you know, just got really quiet. Um, I just started really just paying attention to my breathing and everything sort of came back to me. My training came back to me, like everything that I already knew kind of came back to me. And he was just coaching me, just saying like, hey, no, there's nobody here. It's just me and you. Let's just kind of go through the steps. And eventually, I mean, it was pretty late evening. I eventually uh, qualified. Um, But it was such an interesting experience because I was new to this relationship with this very experienced non-commissioned officer. I was feeling embarrassed and he was coaching me. He was leading me in that moment. Mm. And he also, he didn't humiliate me, didn't embarrass me. Um, He didn't say, hey, kid, you know, from West Point, you know, what's going on? You know, he just coached me. He also taught me the importance of, you know, sort of being still to remember, right? To not get too excited, to not, when you feel like you need to be in charge, sometimes the best thing to do is just to uh, be quiet and remember and watch Mm -hmm. what's going on around you. And in some of those moments of stillness, even today is when I think I'm at my best. Mm -hmm when I really listen and understand is when I'm at my best. And today I really take the time. And I, th- I think about S- Sergeant Ogletree all the time, uh, believe it or not, 30 years later, when I think about him, it, it helps me remember when I'm dealing with my direct reports, with my clients, with my team, to really step back and listen and to understand and to meet people where they are. It was such a pivotal experience for me, you know, a little bit cocky coming out of West Point, thinking I'm going to run the world and really figuring out that, hey, the people that work for you are going to help you. You need to listen to them to understand and how to be successful. And I think that that story really epitomizes the type of leader that I try to be, but also has helped shape who I am as a leader today. Wow. And I'm just thinking of coming out of West Point into the military and you're leading people immediately that have been probably at it longer than you have. And like you say, the expectation is, well, she's Charlene's walking in West Point so she can pretty much do everything and anything. Right. And to be humbled so quickly. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Uh, So, all right. I love this idea of stillness and it's not something that we talk a lot about on the show. And I'm glad that we're getting into it here. Is stillness something that you cultivate 
and that you have cultivated throughout your career? And if so, uh, how, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. So I am a, um, I would say, a introvert by nature. And so in some ways, being quiet comes natural in that, you know, my natural instinct is to sort of watch others or sort of wait and then jump mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. So I think this idea of introversion can be an advantage in terms of stillness. But over time, I've had to learn how to hold on to it when it's not so natural. When you're being asked to speak in front of a large group, when you're leading a team meeting, I have a global team today and I'm always thinking about what do I need to say? What do I need to say? And I've learned over time to say, what is it? How can I listen to my employees to understand how I can connect and meet them where they are. So I think it's, mm. for me, it's a combination of being an introvert and many people will say I have the ultimate poker face, which in some cases is an advantage, right? Because sure. if people don't know what you're thinking, you can listen without necessarily biasing the conversation. Um, so I've learned to use that to my advantage, but stillness is uh, a constant challenge for me even today. You want to get everything done in the first couple hours when you jump in the office. And so this idea of really slowing down and sometimes doing nothing until the, the thinking develops um, has been something that I have cultivated, I think, over time. I love that. And an advantage of the introvert is the poker face. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm not... And, and then you have extroverts like me who always want to verbally process everything. And that's one of the reasons I have a podcast. Uh, and, yes. you know, for the listeners, I'm kind of experiencing your interview so far, like a Pixar movie, like on multiple levels. One of the things is the importance of understanding your natural tendencies and your kind of sweet spot as a leader, and then designing a game that really builds upon those strengths. And if you're an introvert and you like to take it all in, leverage that in such a positive way. Um, and for me, as a, as a podcaster extrovert, and my wife's an introvert, by the way, so she's glad I get to verbally process all day doing podcasting. <laughs> um, but, you know, that that's a way that I leverage it. So I think there's this inner journey that if we choose to go there as a leader, it helps us really design our workday and a game and a leadership strategy for ourselves. When did you discover that you were an introvert and that introverts had superpowers like this? Yeah, I think I discovered that I was an introvert very, very early on. Um, even in high school, always shying away from the conversations, never wanting to be out front. Um, I think I learned to take advantage of it when I got into the military, because this idea of, of um, holding in your emotion, really trying to show strength all the time, uh, sometimes just comes natural as an introvert. Mm -hmm. um, I remember being hazed at West Point and the upperclassmen would come by and my face would literally be totally blank. But inside, I was more frightened than I had ever been. I was literally almost shaking inside, but the outside 
um, appeared that I wasn't bothered. And sometimes that was a bad thing because they would say, hey, Mills, you're not you're not scared enough. You know, get down and give me, you know, 20 push-ups. And I wanted to be able to scream and say, no, 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 really, yeah. I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared. And so I've learned over wow. time that this idea of how you're um, feeling inside as an introvert and kind of feeling that way may not project. It might project actual strength, right? It may project to, to some people that, you know, you're uh, calm under pressure. It's feedback I've gotten my entire career. Charlene is one of the calmest people that I know. And I think I am calm. That's true. But I think a lot of that has to do with the idea that I am introverted. And therefore, I take a listen first mm-hmm. approach uh, just naturally. So I think um, once you get into sort of a, a corporate setting and you start to get regular feedback I think it's really important to think about, you know, not only how you feel, but how you come across to others. And um, I consider introversion to be a superpower in many ways, um, because in uh, when people talk about my strengths or things that I really do well, I can always kind of pin it back to this is the approach, this approach of listening, this approach of really being engaged with not necessarily talking. And so that's um, that in itself can be a superpower. Indeed. Indeed. And you, and I think we can all cultivate this idea that, that you're hitting on today, that kind of comes naturally for you, which is listening and first. And listening first doesn't mean you're sitting there formulating your response. Correct. I think that's where so many leaders, like they want to look a certain way. They want to come back. They want to let their processing the problem quickly. They want to be the first to speak up. But if you are oftentimes, you know, you're missing the full range of the conversation. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Now, when you are thinking about designing your team, Mentioned you have a global team. I think you. I think Matt Life has got around like fifty thousand employees, more more That's or less right. around yes. the globe. What What do you kind of sticking with the extroversion introversion piece of this? Is this something you take into account when you're building your team? Are you looking for like certain roles might play better for certain tendencies, or looking for more well, well balance, or what's your approach there? Yeah, I mean, I think over time, I've, I always share the fact with new tem- team members that I am an introvert, because I want them to understand that if I walk by in the hallway, that wasn't a slight. If I don't ask you about your weekend, it wasn't a slight. Um, so I've learned to, to oh, actually oh. sort of disarm some of the maybe more negative things about, you know, being quiet to sort of disarm, particularly my team, because I want them to have access But what I've learned to appreciate, much like I'm sure your wife has, is that I am much better if I have some extroverts around me. And in fact, you know, helping me to say, hey, Charlene, here would be a good time to kind of tell a story. Um, I will have people that coach me on my team. This idea of the team members complimenting me and say, hey, I want people to connect with you 
So remember to do these things first. Mm. Um, so I am very grateful to have a team today where we're kind of balanced. Some, some people are introverted and others are not. But I definitely have learned to seek it out because I know it makes me a better leader um, when I embrace that. Now, of course, I have to go rest <laughs> after about 20 minutes with a true extrovert. But, um, Sorry about but that. It, it's always- <laughs> you need a nap after this interview. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm about right. I'll, need a, I'll need a couple hours after <laughs> this. But um, but it's always better when there's when there's a mix. And I know I'm a better leader when there's a balance. I love that. And it, it goes back to you. It seems like you're real, you've exercised the self-reflection muscle a lot in your career. And I that is so powerful because the more you exercise that self-reflection muscle, the better your self-reflection gets, the more you have access to it. And just, just this idea of, hey, I'm going to share my tendencies with my team. So they're not processing me not saying, hey, that's what their weekend is in. I don't like them and they're going to get fired tomorrow, which some employees will say that. Like, oh, my boss didn't smile at me today. You know, and, it, and it's harder too in a remote workforce where they may just see you on a zoom call for 15, 20 minutes. And that might be your interaction for the next few days. And so helping them understand. And so the fact that you're willing to share that with them, so they understand your approach, I think is so valuable. And so many leaders, I think maybe even sometimes take pride in keeping their teams guessing about what they're Mm -hmm. thinking. And, uh, that's like torture. To a lot, yeah. a lot of employees, <laughs> you know, I know this is how I operate. Yeah, and, it uh, seems kind of cruel, cool. actually. <laughs> yeah, it, it it does, it it does. But I think I've, when I worked in corporate, I I think I had a few bosses that were in that category. Yeah, I thought it was kind of fun, uh, but um, <laughs> I, I I like the fact that you're you know communicating that up front to them. Now thinking about your career, and you know you served in the military. You've worked for some massive organizations. Um, what's been a source of inspiration for you? Yeah, I think I, I have a story like like many others. I think it's my my family. Both of my my parents are deceased, but I think their example. And I have uh, five siblings, so we were a large group uh, growing up. And while we didn't have much, we didn't know we didn't have much. You know, we had fun, right? We had each other. Um, and, and I think their sacrifice is kind of what mm. what inspires me. So this idea that you work so that your kids and their kids can be better feels old school, but it's who I am. And so even on the days when I don't feel like it, I kind of mm. remember that there was a sacrifice for me right? So that I could go to West Point, so that my siblings could go to college. And so this idea of just effort showing up every day comes from my upbringing and my family. Yeah, it's the the people that are around us, even if they're not telling us, hey, you should go to work, you need to go to work. Sometimes the most powerful role models in our lives, are the ones that we're just around, and we see them leading by example. Right. And, um, man, when you're leading a global organization like yourself, just showing up, just <laughs> right. showing up, y'all, this is hard work. 
and I'm here today and I've got yeah. a cold or I've got all this other stuff going on, but I'm here, I'm here for you. I mean, what, what a great way to inspire people without having to even speak just your presence. Exactly. And it's authentic, right? It's authentic that uh, you're not having the best day every day. And it's what I, what I tell my kids today. They're both in their first professional jobs. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, show up. Show up for your colleagues, for yourself, for your teammates, mm-hmm. and see what happens. Um, and so it's, um, mm-hmm. it, it feels sometimes like maybe a, an older generational, you know, kind of older generation characteristic. But it is, it has defined, you know, me. My question to you is, um, where do you strike the balance between, hey, things aren't going right and I'm showing up versus maybe burnout or exhaustion or letting things slide in your personal life? And so maybe striking the balance of striking a balance or prioritizing self-care, because right now self-care is huge. Mental wellness is huge. And mm-hmm. uh that's, I would say it's probably like in the last three, that's really like a, almost a pandemic mile marker where that conversation seemed to really be in the media and in corporate more now. So what's your, how are you processing that as a leader? Yeah, it's, a, it's an ongoing challenge to be, to be honest. And I, sometimes I think that uh, I should have figured that out by now. Um, but I think we're all still kind of working on what that balance is for us. And it changes over time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm fortunate to work for an organization in MetLife where that's emphasized. And mm-hmm. what's okay. ironic is that I actually lead the global well-being team. And sometimes I myself struggle, right, with hey, I need to take advantage of some of these offerings. But Mm -hmm. I would say I've been fortunate to work for organizations where that's prioritized. So it forces me to lead uh, my people in a way to take advantage of things, even if I'm not always doing it myself. Um, But over time, to your point, the people in your life remind you that, hey, a little balance is needed. Um, so I'm doing better over time as, you know, I can't physically kind of put in the type of work that I used to. So in some ways, I think your body has a way of <laughs> telling you, sending you messages. Like it's time for bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm starting to listen a little bit better to my body. But it's yeah. an ongoing, it's an ongoing uh, challenge that I think, um, you know, if we if we're open about it with our folks, with the people that work in our organizations, I think it helps all of us to say, hey, we're in this together. Um, we don't always get it right, mm-hmm. uh, but it's worth it to really think about what matters to you and how you strike that balance. Yeah, I love that. I love just your honest way of putting it out there. Hey, like, hey, I'm actually leading this effort in the company <laughs> and I don't claim to be perfect, which actually ties back to your original story. Also about the learning and learning from the people around you like when you're on the firing range there. And it's just really cool for people to hear that. And sometimes um, we must, it, if you want to really learn something deeply, you got to teach it. <laughs> so, or, right. or, or, or maybe we we tweak it and say, we got to lead it. If you want to know it deeply, you got to lead it. <laughs> right, right. 
when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career? And how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest uh, twist I had was I, um, I I came out of the military. Um, I, I joined uh, Johnson Johnson sort of shortly after that. I was about 10 years into uh, my career. It was going really well. I was a process excellence at the time. That was sort of the, a methodology which was around quality. And I was a, a Six Sigma black belt. And I my next job was as I was heading up the chain to be a leader in operations was to go run a plant. And I thought to myself, like, I like the leadership aspects of that, but the idea of sort of making widgets and and sort of getting excited about that was not, was not something I was interested in. And I had a sponsor at the time who said, have you ever thought about HR? And I said, HR, like I'm a, I'm a line leader. What do you mean HR? Like, She's like, you're just really good at like listening and coaching and helping, mm. helping people kind of get things done. And I said, well, I'd be, I'd be happy to try it. I'm not really interested in going to run a plant at this point. And so I started talking to leaders in HR, but I was kind of getting this nice no. You know, everybody was smiling, but they were basically saying like, you don't have the experience. So we can't, you know, you know, for these reasons, why don't you try a project? Why don't you do this? And I'm... I'm thinking I've led, you know, hundreds of people globally. I've, you know, lived and worked outside of the U.S. How could I not be, you know, qualified to be in HR? And I almost got, you know, really kind of frustrated about it. I started to become cynical. Um, And I had a friend, a colleague of mine at the time who's, you know, was listening to me complain about, you know, why I couldn't take on a cross-functional opportunity in HR. Um, and I was just going on and on. And she said, oh, so did they stop paying you for, for the work that you're doing? And, and it was like in that oh. moment, something just clicked, right? Like there isn't anything that's sort of owed to you just based on performance. I, you know, in, in my head, I was thinking I have been such a good performer for this company. So surely I should be X or surely I should be able to do this. And I think it was a real twist for me because it got me out of this idea of, you know, you put in the work and this is the result. That -hmm. there are many other factors that lead to opportunities. Um, And it, it really shifted my mindset, first of all, to not have this expectation that something's going to be given but also to really listen to what the feedback was mm. and and what the leaders in HR were trying to achieve and figure out how I could add value in that space versus you know assuming that my history would sort of be sufficient. And so I think that was a big twist for me. I eventually uh, made the transition into HR, but I was grateful for the fact that I'd been told no so many times Um, And still today, now as I coach leaders, as I talk to people, this idea of number one, resilience, but also this idea of helping leaders understand what they're not hearing um, in Mm. a way that they can hear it. For me, it was jarring because it was almost this uh, somebody who I trusted saying like, listen, like your expectations are out of line, what you're trying to achieve. And so even today, I'm able to help leaders, I think, you know, by listening to them, think about what they want to achieve and connect that 
with what they're doing, right? And, and figuring out together what's the gap. So it's a big twist for me. I mean, it's, um, and now that I've been in HR so long, I, I definitely, and hopefully my colleagues would consider me an HR professional. But in some ways, I feel like an outsider who got an opportunity and it gives me mm-hmm. motivation to continue to want to be the best HR professional I can be. Yeah, I would say you have an, a non-traditional rise in the HR world, uh, you know, with your background. And it gives you such a different perspective that you bring to HR, such a well-rounded mm-hmm. understanding of the business and organization. And I loved that twist story that you told. I mean, we really, I, and I experienced it in so many different ways. Number one, how we listen matters. And can we hear the message even if we disagree with it or even if we don't really appreciate the person giving it to us? Right. And I think that comes with time and wisdom and saying, okay, what, you know, what could be contained in this? And also as a leader giving feedback, as they often reflect upon with leaders, is it really doesn't matter what we say. It only matters what's heard. And it's, that's a hard lesson, I think, for leaders because we think people should listen to us because we're the leader. And we have all this great experience, or at least I feel that way. <laughs> I think a lot of leaders do. But if they don't hear us and they're not hearing the message, then we got to find another way to reach them. Exactly. Hmm. Man, Charlene, I sure have enjoyed this interview. I think you <laughs> nailed it with your positive messages here. What's your parting thought for our listeners today? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, just back to this theme of of listening and embracing the quiet sides Mm -hmm. of yourself. It is, uh, I think, even for folks that are not quiet by nature, I think it's an important tool uh, for all of us to think about is how do we really connect back to our purpose when we're quiet, right? Um, And how do we push ourselves to really not feel like we have to interject, but instead kind of sit back and figure out how we can impact the organization from a position of understanding and learning and really listening. Again, a challenge even for me, um, where it comes a little bit more naturally maybe than others, um, but something that has really helped me and, and hopefully would be helpful for others. All right, leaders, there's a call to action. Weave in a little more silence into your conversations and into your workday and see how it goes. Charlene, thank you for coming on the show today. Great, great. Thank you, Ben. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of The Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.